Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, pastor at Hope, and we are so glad that you are listening in. We would love to connect with you in person at our Sunday gathering. In the meantime, we hope this message points you to Jesus, the reason we gather. Good dramas don't just end, do they? Good dramas... There's a moment at the very end of them called the epilogue. And an epilogue just simply means concluding words. An epilogue is a way to create space for reflection, to say, what did we just read? What did we just encounter in the story? What open threads might need tying? Well, we just finished the entire story of Scripture together in under one year. I mean, that is an accomplishment. Well done, everybody. But what that means is we have a unique opportunity as a church to reflect. We have a unique opportunity to notice some of the threads that are woven throughout the entire story of God's redemption. And we want to create just about a month space to do that before we move on to Hebrews. This morning, I want to explore... What scripture calls the face of God. You may have missed it in our table read. But it is in every chapter of the story. And I want to explore why that is a good thing. But first let's pray. Lord, one thing I ask. And only this do we as a church seek. Lord, that we would dwell in your house all the days of our life. And Lord, that we would gaze upon your beauty even now as we open the scriptures. Would your Holy Spirit open the eyes of our hearts so that we would gaze upon beauty. And not beauty in the abstract, but beauty in the person of Jesus. Would we seek you now in your temple And it's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Well, in 2020, I was physically separated from my dad in his final days. And this was because he was in the hospital during the pandemic lockdown. And while phone calls between him and I were okay, I needed to see his face. Which is why his FaceTime calls... To me, no exaggeration are one of the most valuable memories that I have in my possession. I saw his face of delight, he saw mine. Words were good, words were necessary. I needed, though, his face. And we all do. I mean, neurologically, it's not even an option. It's an absolute necessity. Built into our very nature is the need for a face. And not just any face, but a face that delights in you. Neurologist Kurt Thompson says, this is the first thing that we do as a human. We seek a face. A newborn's vision is no more and no less than the distance between their eyes and a face of delight. So that clinical psychologist Jim Wilder says this, God designed our brains to seek joy. 
through our eyes and facial expressions, through being with people who are glad to be with us. Studies show what we know through experience, right? A face that says, I'm happy to be with you. A face that says it, non-verbally, actually creates within us joy. And this joy, according to Wilder, is not happiness, but is what he calls a supra-emotion. Joy, in other words, is like a Lego brick that connects to any and all emotions that we have, even the scary ones like grief and anger. Sadness. In fact, according to Wilder, relational joy, now quoting, regulates our emotions and helps us endure suffering. Relational joy, that is the face that delights in you. And being on the receiving end of that. And this actually helps me unlock a puzzle that is the Thessalonian church. I always read this with a little bit of a struggle, a little bit of puzzlement. I love it, but it's still difficult for me. So Paul says this about the church in Thessalonica. He says, you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Again, joy is like a Lego brick that can click onto and even regulate our most difficult emotions. They're not at odds. And I can attest to this. The other morning, actually, I was walking my dog. It was early in the morning and I allowed myself to cry. Uh, while thinking about those final days I just referred to with my dad. But because my memory of him was his face of delight, his face of searching, not very unlike an infant. My grief, though it was deep, was accompanied by a deep joy. We need a face of delight. Like a plant needs water, We need a face that says, I am so glad to be with you. And so we search for it every minute of our life, don't we? Isn't this the search beneath every single search in our life? I think we're honest, though. This face often seems unattainable. This face often seems out of sight. Inconsistent at best. So we turn to all kinds of substitutes in our life. We scroll for it. We buy things for it. We stream for it. But what if that face of the light is closer? And what if that face of the light is more reliable than we thought? So a major theme in the story of God that we just encountered together is the face of God. What theologians call the beatific vision. Beatific comes from the same word family as beatitude. And that just means happy. That means blessed. That means fulfilled. That means, you could say, integrated. Yes, that means joyful. That Lego brick that connects to everything. Joy, deep joy, real joy, enduring joy. Beatitude. And the truth is that we are most alive, most joyful when we see God face to face, the face that we were designed to meet. The face in which we were designed to actually receive 
to be transformed under. In fact, you could actually summarize the entire story of Scripture as a movement in three parts. Face-to-face, shrouded face, and then shining face. So this face-to-face relationship that we have with God is hinted at the very beginning. So Adam and Eve are fully alive in the Garden of God, right? And they're living face-to-face without fig leaves, without any trace of shame between one another, and also living face-to-face with the Lord. And yet, things change. It says in Genesis 3.8, after their fall into sin, that they hid from the Lord. One way to hide ourselves, as it's been pointed out, is to hide our face. Like, we don't ever grow up out of the game of peekaboo. When we cover our face, the goal is to disappear. And so from this moment on, the simple face-to-face relationships that we have with one another, the simple face-to-face relationship that we have with the Lord gets complicated. Amen? It gets complicated. And we see this with the most, Scripture says, the most humble man who ever lived, Moses. And then he said, I am the God of your father, of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses did what? He hid his face. Because he was afraid to look at God. We see this with a mighty prophet like Elijah. When Elijah heard God's whisper, he covered his face with his cloak. We see this with a man after God's own heart, David, who asks the Lord in Psalm 51. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities, all my transgressions. And yet, despite this request, he can still long without being inconsistent for it. How long, Lord, will you forgive me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? I want your face. There's a tension in the life of David. And even at the very end of things, in Revelation, we get a preview of what happens when we do not welcome the Lord. We do not welcome Jesus. We do not greet Him. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us. From what? The face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. So the broken world we live in is a world of shrouded faces. We hide our face from each other. We hide our face from the Lord. And so we should not be surprised that one of the key images of salvation in the Scriptures is a shining face. One of the key images of God's grace in the Old Testament is a shining face. So that in Psalm 31, 16, we read this. Make your face to shine upon your servant. And then every Hebrew poet knew that when you stated something after the first statement, you were making a point. And most of the time, you're amplifying what you just said before. Make your face to shine upon your salvation of your servant. What does that mean? Save me in your Loving kindness in your chesed, and your never let me go love. Save me in your never let me go love. What does that mean? Make your face shine. In this world of shrouded faces, that is salvation. Moses gets a taste of it on the mountain of God. When he came down, he did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him, which is why the greatest blessing then and now. It is the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And that's why God's promise in Ezekiel is I will not hide my face from that anymore. For I will have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the Lord. 
our God. And that's why, friends, the entire story of Scripture ends with the restored face of God. There will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him in what? They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. This is the beatific vision, the vision that gives us deep, eternal, never-ending, real joy, beatitude. That's it. What one ancient theologian has called the happifying sight. Here's a quote, the beatific vision, seeing God face to face, will come at the end time when mutual love will need no sacrament or church or Bible. No knowledge by inference, but the vision of God face to face. A lover does not need another to tell them about the loved one when they What does this mean for you? Well, I think it has implications for three things. I want to frame them this way. I want to frame them as your anticipation, your attachment, and your affections. This beatific vision has a profound implication for your anticipation in life. What I mean is your hope. What I mean is what you look forward to. What I mean is when you wake up and what you think about. What I mean is when you make plans with your career. What I mean is what you think about when you think about just past today, just past right now. What is your anticipation? This beatific vision defines all of it. It is the end of all of it. It is our hope. It's not part of our hope. It is our hope. We say at our church, our church is more than a name. We have hope in the sure return of Jesus when we see the Lord face to face. This beatific vision is our anticipation. I learned from one ancient theologian that they called this, the, the beatific vision, the heaven of heaven. His face of delight and our joy is what we are longing for. And so when we reach the place of God, when we are in new creation, new heavens and new earth, the heaven of heaven is this sight. This is the the sort of fulfillment, the, the final satiation of all of our hungers. It's a relational face. His face of delight and our joy in receiving when we see our triune God without anything in between. One theologian, Paul Strobel, reminds us that the beatific vision will be transformative. And he's not just inferring this. He's simply quoting John. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we will be like Him. Why? How does that transformation occur? John tells us. John the Beloved tells us. Because we shall see Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. So friends, it's not just okay, but it's absolutely necessary to long for this day. Long for this vision. Long for this moment. Anticipate the sight that will put all of your longings to rest. And when even the greatest of all earthly 
satisfactions, even the greatest of all of our sort of daily joys, when they disappoint, which they do, and when you want what C.S. Lewis calls the lust for encore, when you want that thing again that is so good today, please allow yourself to say, this, is, this disappointment is very much because I have not yet seen the face of this. It's a way to frame our rebellion against the Lord. I'm seeking for His face of delight in so many things besides Him. We are longing for this gaze. And we know that until this gaze, of course, our spiritual journey will be marked by what some have called a pilgrim vision. A pilgrim vision is a tension. It's marked by this tension. So like on the one hand, pilgrim vision is it's powerful. It's powerful. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Now the Lord is the Spirit. We heard this read by Sophie. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are going to be transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. That is powerful, which comes from the Lord. But on the other hand, our pilgrim vision right now, our eyes of faith, is puzzling. For we see in a mirror dimly, Paul confesses. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, he says, we see in a mirror dimly. And that word dimly just means literally as if a puzzle or as if an enigma. But then, says Paul, we will see face to face. Right now we see as if in a mirror, as if in a sort of piece of polished bronze. And what we see is puzzling. It's not blindness, but it's not relational clarity either. Now I know in part, Paul says, but then I will know fully as I also have been Fully known. Friends, you are fully known right now. We walk with eyes of faith, not with eyes of sight at this very moment. And this is both powerful and puzzling. That's pilgrim vision. If you're frustrated in the faith, the scriptures are not surprised or shocked. They give you actually words for this. Your vision is a pilgrim vision. But at the same time, our pilgrim vision is more privileged than even Moses, says Paul. Because we can, with eyes of faith, gaze on the glory of Jesus, and our face will shine by the Holy Spirit. One degree to the next. Second of all, this theatific vision has implications for our sense of attachment. So clinical psychologists all agree about the importance of what they call a secure attachment. According to one counselor, Richard Plass, if our caretakers are unavailable, always unavailable, then we will keep our distance in relationships. If our caretakers are unreliable, then we will feel always inadequate in our relationships. If our caretakers are both unavailable and unreliable, we will have a lot of difficulty sustaining and even, uh, even walking into healthy and sustainable intimacy in relationships. But when our caretaker is both available and reliable, we thrive. We have what they call secure attachment. And this is so vital for our health. This is so vital for our joy. This is so vital for our relation, our relationshiping and life and so on and so forth. But when we lay hold of Jesus by faith, this is what I want you to think about. 
We are united to Jesus, says Scripture. We are united to Jesus. And this means, as Aaron said earlier, way more than just our sins are forgiven. It certainly means that, but it means more than that. We are actually invited into the mysterious depths of trying love when we are united to Jesus. Think about that. The Father has been gazing with delight on the Son and vice versa for all of eternity. When we are united into Jesus, we get to see the Father as Christ does. We are now seen by the Father in Christ. We are enveloped into, in some mysterious way, the Paul, Paul Apostle would say, we are enveloped into and even coining a participants within the sort of triune love of God. This gaze of delight overshadows any face of delight, even the one I cherished that I shared earlier. This gaze of delight is both available and reliable at all times, in every way. So even if we have not been on the receiving end of a face that says, I want to be with you, and maybe some of us have not been on the receiving face of a very important person that says, I want to be with you. We can experience it in Christ. Every moment. And then finally, the beatific vision means that our affections or our emotional life deeply matters. We often over-intellectualize Christianity, don't we? And your pastor uses big words and he likes to read and so I don't help you in this. And if the whole road though, if the Christian life, as we've just been reading, if the whole road of the Christian life of discipleship with Jesus leads to the shining face of God. And this face then imparts joy. This face that says, I'm so glad to be with you. If that face imparts joy, and that joy transforms not just our thoughts, but according to John the Beloved, it transforms all of who we are, our will, our desires, our emotions, even our body, it's implied, will be transformed upon seeing Jesus. And if that is true, then that means all of that matters today. It's just a tenet in the Christian faith that where we are heading matters then for today. We set our direction towards where we're heading. And the image we get is one in which your affections deeply matter. And this means that our thoughts matter, correct? Yes, true. But our desires do as well. Faith is not just cognitive, it's emotional. As I said, Jim Wilder defines joy joy relationally. And this has been just a gigantic revelation to me. This week, um, Aaron, one of your elders, he handed me a book written by Jim Wilder. And I just remember reading this and thinking, this is so helpful. Joy is not happiness generated from within. By like will or circumstances or genetics. Joy is receiving, as Wilder puts it, the sparkle of someone's eye. That's joy. It's the feeling of, I said it, the feeling of being delighted in that changes us. That's how God made us, and God wants us to feel that and be healed by that. So friends, I just want to say simply right now, you have the sparkle of God's eye. 
Are you resisting that statement? Why? Why are you resisting that statement? Because I am, even as I say it. You have the sparkle of God's eye. Friends, this, this frees us, actually, to give it to others. Since studying this, I've decided to simplify my parenting philosophy. Okay? Show them my face of delight. There it is. And this is a key way that they will experience not just integration in life, which is important, and stable attachment, so important. All those good things. But it actually is God's chosen means to show them how God looks at them. My mother is designed for theirs. And if that's true of parenting, it's also true of our relationships, all of our relationships. Our friendships, our deepest friendships, our bonded friendships, our church family being. It's true of our church mission. So John, as we've been talking about, who calls himself the beloved, the beloved. I mean, John, if you know his story, he knew the contours of Jesus' face of delight. He did. He leaned on him. He he, he demonstrated such an intimacy and a trust and attachment, one could say, with the Lord Jesus that he leaned on him. He put his head on his chest. He rested on Jesus, not just with his brain, but with his body. (laughs) This beloved disciple says numerous times in his letters, he says, for instance, in 3 John, I hope to see you shortly and we will speak face to face. And then in another letter, 2 John 12, though I have many things to write you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face. And what he says next is profound. So that your joy may be made full. Face to face. Okay, we receive it from the Lord, we can give it to others. That's that's the upshot. Our mission extending the welcome of Jesus is more than just sharing the gospel with words. It's not less than that. It's more than that. May folks who come into this place and encounter us through the week, might they experience joy in being known and being delighted in. And Lord, would we experience that joy for you now? We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening in. For more resources like this and to learn more about Hope, please visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.